somewhat of a delicate subject. Uh, we'll be dealing with abortion, some of the injustices. We'll be looking at uh, just what do we do in the face of difficulty and, and uh, controversy. So we'll be looking at some of those tonight. But as we think about the cry for mercy, um, that, that can take many forms and many steps. There are so many that are crying for mercy in our world today. Just if you, if you stop for just a moment and think about how many people out there that have an issue going on in their lives or, pardon me, can you hear me? Am I okay? All right. And there's an injustice that is happening in, in someone's life. And so we're, we'll be looking at some of those tonight and, and we'll be in Psalms chapter 10. Now, some of you were lucky enough or fortunate enough to receive a scripture. And that scriptural text, when we get to that point to where it'll be time to read, I'll get the mic out so that uh, people can hear. I think the last time we tried this exercise, some of you said that you, could, you couldn't hear what someone was saying. So tonight we want to make sure that that happens. Okay? Now, question um, on, on the whole idea of this. Um, how many abortions took place since Roe v. Wade? Anybody know? Too many, that's true. 64 million? That's a lot of people, a lot of babies, a lot of, lot of injustice that has taken place. So we'll be looking at some of that tonight. So this psalm uh, is a lament at the seeming prosperity of the wicked, but ultimate confidence in the judgments of God. And so that's what we'll be looking at tonight. But I want to have you conduct an exercise for me, if you will. I want you to find your pulse. Find your pulse, either in your neck, on the crowd. This is called a carotid artery, and this is the radial artery. Find it. Can you feel it? All right. So everybody... Ready? What happened up there? Okay, I want you to start counting. Uh-oh. So, I'll just do it the old-fashioned way. Start counting now. <laughs> Stop. Multiply it times two. Your sitting pulse rate is 64. That's pretty good. For an old guy like you, yeah, you're very welcome. <laughs> what was yours? 64. 64. He's, you're better shape than he is. Wow. My goodness. Isn't that amazing? And, and what was, uh, let's go to the back because there's people back here. Did you count your pulse? And it is 88. 68. Oh, you people. You don't. <laughs> well, shall we all meet at the, at the river? <laughs> the beautiful, the beautiful river? You don't have a pulse. 
Well, <laughs> we're going to be talking about those who don't have a pulse here in just a little bit. <laughs> Did, do you have a pulse? You didn't, you didn't feel your pulse? Does everybody know where your pulse is? Okay, it's the carotid artery. It's just, okay, boy. There, there it is. It showed up. <laughs> For some of you, it comes and goes. Life begins at conception. Okay? And in the Bible, we know that the life is in the blood. Okay? Now, it is, it is some weeks between the time the egg and the spermazota join together and starts that process of that human being becoming what he is, what God has already ordained him to be. God's already seen his beginning, his end. He knows everything about that person, everything they're going to say, think, do. God knows it all. And life has begun. And one of the great things I think is it's really fascinating is that eight to ten weeks, these are ultrasounds, this new style ultrasound, ultrasonic uh, examinations are just incredible. If you follow the, the age, this little guy is putting on some weight. At 36 to 38 pounds, I mean weeks, he's going to be a big eight-pounder at least. Big guy, <laughs> okay? So um, as we think about that, we have to also come to terms with, as we look at this, there are those that says that that's a clump of cells. That's not a baby. And that it's not a baby until it comes out of the womb. And, it, and it's really disheartening that many believe and think that way, but it is, it is definitely something that is going on in our culture and is standing and it stares at us. There is a grave injustice that is taking place in the lives of the young ladies, the people who has those procedures or has the capability of giving birth. And trust me, no trans can give birth. Not going to happen. And so as we begin to look at this and, and try to grapple with understanding these injustices that are taking place, there's only, there's a couple other places where people would say that there are some stark injustices going on, and then we'll be looking at those. And so tonight, Psalms chapter 10 is where we're going to start. This is, a, this is a great portion of scripture. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Now, David uses something here that we call anthropomorphic. He gives God, or gives the person he's writing about, human characteristics. So he says, why standest thou afar off? As if we are looking at a person who is standing off to the side, who doesn't want to engage with everyone else, but they're standing there and refusing to commit and, and refusing to be a part, and it's kind of letting them kind of be on their own. David says, you know, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou, thou thyself in the time of trouble? We're going to look at that a little deeper here. In just a little bit, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. There's some, some great words we'll be looking at in the uh, Hebrew. 
Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined, for the wicked boasteth in his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous, whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. If you're like me, it's kind of hard to imagine not having the thought of the Savior run through your mind. Is it possible that someone on this earth and in this world and in the United States and in the Western hemispheres can say, I don't know anything about this God that you're talking about. There's that, there's that emptiness, there's that space in everyone's heart that God made void of him and it's only he that can fill that void and there are those who would, would explain that they don't know him. Now, the presence of God is a joy of his people, but any suspicion of his absence is distracting beyond measure. It is not the trouble, but the hiding of our Father's face, which cuts us to the quick. Charles Spurgeon wrote that. I think it was his great portion, a, a great exegesis there. So in times of trouble means a cutting off. It means the idea of the hope of deliverance has gone beyond us and we won't be able to take part in that. It's the notion of distress intensified by despair knowing that that that, that was going to save me has gone from me and I'll never be able to acquire it. That kind of gives a, a symbolical, symbolical touch of the idea of hell. According to some scriptures, it's as if people can see from hell into heaven. We know the story of Father Abraham and how the rich man said, you know, you know have Lazarus just dip his finger and just let it just touch my tongue because I'm in torment here. So we see that that's going on. So it is not the trouble, but the hiding of our Father's face that cuts to the quick. The intent of not being able to see God or be in his presence. The intent is to provoke the Lord to act in accordance with his promise to his people. God said that there are some things that he has proclaimed in his word. Uh, he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. You know, uh, he will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. These promises are real, and they are the thing that gives us the tenacity to live in the world in which we live in that doesn't have hope, doesn't have what all of us are craving deep down inside. Have you ever seen a society that is so messed up that everybody has to have some form of something to validate who they are? You know, one of the greatest things it has been, I think, but it comes with the negative, is the Internet. I can remember being in college. <laughs> I'm going to give my age away. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to talk about this. You ever heard of a punch card? You never heard of a punch card? I, I won't even start there with you then. <laughs> Computers. In the olden days, you know what a punch card is, sir? Okay, so I got a couple people 
know what I'm talking about. So all these punch cards would, would be able to do things in a computer. And you could take a stack of them like that, and it could perform something like 2 plus 2 equals 4. <laughs> 4. And that was hot stuff back then. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was pretty incredible. But with the Internet has come some terrible things. Facebook, I'm going to give you the example of Facebook. So many people have to have a like. I got 12 likes. He got 20 likes. But what does a like really mean? Someone, so you write something in it and someone says, I like that. So it, it means like they agree, that's okay, that's good. But what else does it do for you? It validates who you are, what you think, and, and, who you, and, and everything about you. So can you imagine you get 20 likes? He does something and he gets 2,000. She does something and she gets 750,000. Who's more popular? <laughs> Me. <laughs> validation, but it is truly God who says to us that we are the redeemed, we're the blessed, we're the children of God. Being a child of God is worth 24 million likes, more than that, quadruple that. Because I'm a child of God gives a peace and a satisfaction that the world will never be able to give us. Now, why? God is standing afar. He's there, and the, the, the psalmist writes it out this way, because he's seeing all the things that is going on in his time, and he's, he's questioning God about it. So here the psalmist asks the question, well known to those who follow God. The anxiety over the seeming inactivity of God the psalmist felt that God was afar off and did even hide in times of trouble. David felt that it was as if God was way over there and he had excluded himself from all the cares and the problems of the world. And he thought, we're in times of trouble. We are forsaken. This world is terrible. There's bad things coming on the horizon, and it doesn't seem like, God, you're doing anything. Now, question to you. Are there things going, going on in the world today that it seems like God is not present? How can he let 64 million babies die? Why would he let child prostitution take place? Why? Why all these terrible things? Drug addiction. I mean, it's horrible. And it seems like we're just on a course that is leading to destruction, and there's no one looking to figure out a way to turn the ship around and go back the other way. 
But as a society, we have become so smart, so brilliant, so in tune that we think we know where we're going and what we're doing. And it's kind of sad, but it's, but it's so true. It really is. Now, let's move on. He uses that uh, anthropomorphic image again of, of standing there. And let's talk about the injustices. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. This word persecute suggests a pack of dogs chasing their prey. And this prey is running and jumping and dodging and the dogs are flanking him and all around him and coming at him and coming at him until finally they catch the prey and they tear it from limb to limb. A gory idea, but this is, this is what that word persecute helps us to, to see and understand. The ungodly who bring about suffering in the afflicted and the innocent, the wicked represent a whole class of evildoers, a whole class of them. So, when we think about an evildoer, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when I say the word evildoer? Drug dealer. But what does that drug dealer do? What is he doing? He's getting other people hooked. What else is he doing, this drug dealer? Think about it. He's getting rich off of other people's death, their destruction, their hurt. The amount of people that are in jail and trouble and hurting right now because of the wicked and the evildoers is almost unbelievable. We seem like we're falling apart as a country. You, you, have you listened to the news lately? I mean, my goodness. And so David is, 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 is if he is living in 2024 saying what he's saying, and it doesn't seem like there's any difference in something that was written thousands of years ago. Let's move on. Obvious injustice. God has a special place, I believe, in his heart for the unborn, as well as the orphans, the widows, and the poor. Now, I can speak about being poor because when I was growing up, we were poor. I told this to, to the Sunday class, but I'll tell you guys. I had two pair of shoes for a long time. You had one? I, ooh. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you poor to me. You poor to me, huh? I had shoes that I wore to school. I had Sunday shoes. I had one pair of pants a Sunday and one shirt a Sunday. And in T-shirts and jeans and shorts the rest of the time. And that was it. I can remember one time I said to my sister-in-law, this was my, my brother's wife, I said, you think we could ever have any meat with our meal? Because we had 
beans and cornbread. Then we flip that around and do something really good and have ham hock beans and cornbread. How many of you had ham hocks? At ham hocks? Yeah. So there's a few people know what I'm So you were a little poe too? <laughs> She's shaking her head. No, I wasn't poe. But the poor, the widows, the orphan, God has a special place in his heart. And I think that the unborn also has a, a special place in his heart. You know, if we focus on evil, and if it's allowed to continue in the world for very long, if we don't be very careful as Christians, as believers, as the followers of Christ, those who are shedding light in the world, we can become cynical. The other danger is spiritual exhaustion, where it's just like, you know, I've talked with these people, I live my life this way, and they still curse in front of me, and they still do this in front of me, and I, everything I've tried to do to make my work environment better is just going the other way. My home is one of those places where I, I try to do what is right, and there seems like there's always something fighting me to keep me from getting it right. That's cynical, and that's spiritual exhaustion. And it, and it comes at a terrible price because that spiritual exhaustion can, can take a person to the point to where they'll stop reading. And they'll stop praying. And some of the worst things that we can ever do as believers is to stop praying and stop reading. If we ever stop praying and reading, we lose out on the communication and we begin to spiritually starve. And we spiritually atrophy. And we begin to lose the vitality that the word gives. The word of God is quick. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut both ways. And when we lose that edge, what good are we? Can you go into battle with a dull knife? It needs to cut both ways. So, the Bible speaks of justice. Okay. Psalms 82, 3 and 4. Who has that? Now, somebody has it because I hand it. Oh, there you go. You have to read that into this. One through four. Yeah, I gave you more. That says, that says three through four, but I'd rather have you do it all. Can you do that for us? Let's see how well you, with proper diction, Force inflection and all that good stuff. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> okay, Psalm 82, 1 through 4. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Bring them out. Okay, so the hand, of, the hand of the wicked is out to do terrible things, to hurt the poor, to do things to them that is unimaginable, and that's, that's the world in which we live in. Leviticus 19.15. All right. I should have had you come to me since you were talking so much at the beginning. <laughs> Thank you. 
preferences, preferences, preferences. Who is one of those that's guilty of being, having preference? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So we have a role to play, and that role is to bring about acts of justice, acts of kindness, acts of righteousness. That's what we're called to do, and the Word of God is very clear about what it wants to do for us. Now, this whole idea, I'm going to go back just real quickly to abortion. Abortion is the greatest human rights injustice of our time. I love this one. Protect safe abortion. How is killing someone safe? I can remember when my wife was pregnant. Jennifer, the first child, the firstborn, was a hyperactive child. We could set a remote on her stomach and it would just like, man, this kid's, something's wrong with it. <laughs> she was just kicking and moving all the time. We asked doctors, what's wrong with this kid? Some, some are just that way. <laughs> and so we, we saw some wonderful and beautiful things. But we live in a world that says, it's my right, even up until that point right there, to take that baby's life. You can't, I mean, how do, how do you say do justice? And, and, and that's where we are in this world in which we live in. They will not seek after God. An atheist, a person who, who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of God. Billy Graham said this something, he said this years and years ago. He said, if a person says to him, there's an elephant in the room, I've come so far in my life that I won't argue with him. Because if they think and they believe that that's what's sitting there, you can't get around it. Then I love these naturalists that are out there today. Because the naturalists just say this, we're a product of our environment. Well, I mean, we came from monkeys. I didn't, but they said, some of you come from monkeys. The atheists and the naturalists. The word of God says this, that the fool had said in his heart, there is no God. God calls that person foolish. He didn't try to be nice about it. He said, they're a fool. My, my, my big mama would tan your hide if she caught you calling somebody a fool. She said, don't you ever call anybody a fool. And after she got done with you, you better said, yes, ma'am. And then you give her a big hug. How do you hug someone to just tan your hide real good? <laughs> it's possible. I did it. <laughs> but they will not seek after God. Naturalist means resembling something that exists or occurs in nature. 
I'm just a product of my environment. You know, that whole idea about a product of your environment has a level of truth in it. If you spend too much time around negative, mean, influential people, you will find yourself negative, mean, and trying to change things their way. Isn't it amazing? That we can be so influenced that easy by others and what they say and what they do. Do this sometime. If there's someone that you're around a lot, check them out and see if some of the things that they do, some of their characteristics come off on you. It's, it's really remarkable. Think about that and do that sometime. It, it, it brings a lot of value. Let's talk a, a little bit about foster care. How many of you have been foster parents? Anybody in here? Nobody in here. We thought about it one time, but, oh, did someone have their hand up? Oh, do you guys do that? You have one. Oh, God bless you. Well, that's, it's really interesting that, you know, we have at least one in here that, that does that. So what is the success rate of taking someone out of foster care and they being adopted? Not good? Is it 10%? 5%, 180%? It's not even that. You know, I, I got some statistics to show you that, that most of them stay in the system at least five years. And in those five years, they're bounced around. <laughs> Kids. Time in, in care. I'm just, oh man, I only have 11 slides to go. I better hurry. <laughs> I got uh, 17 minutes, so I'm okay. Minute and a half, all right. Time and care. We learned from this report that the children who ex ex exited the foster care system during this period, more than a third had spent more than two years in care, amounting to... 73,000 children and youth, with nearly half of those kids having spent three to four years in care and nearly 10,000 having spent five years or more in care. This is tragic. This actually comes from the Safe Families Act. Um, it's, it's just a reminder that our system is not meeting the goals of getting children into permanency within the time frame we want. And another reminder, that the time frames established into law by the Adoption and Safe Families Act are not being met by state child welfare workers and judicial offices. We can't even meet our own goals. But the red, the, excuse me, the orange bar, two to three years, the gray is three to four, and then the dark blue is, is five years or more. And many of these kids that are in foster care, they come from either broken homes, parents dead, or um, drug-addicted families. Uh, they never leave the system. They, they become 18-year-olds, and then they're out on their own, correct? Does that happen a lot here in Hancock County? 
your sister went into foster care at 12? 15 homes by the time she was 18. So in six years, she was moved six, 15 times. Wow, it's amazing. Yes. Kids just dropped off? Oh. Boy, America. It's, it's, uh, it's an appalling bunch of statistics. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's sad all the way around. Mm -hmm. So the conclusion of this report shows that 113,000 children and youth are without permanent nutrient family to help them thrive during the most formative years. NCFA applauds all the families who together welcome a total of 54,200 children to their homes during this fiscal year. If you're considering adoption from foster care, you can learn about this process, blah, blah, blah. But there are bunches and bunches of people that are doing it. Now, let's, let's, let's make a little bit of a shift here. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. David's been complaining about the wicked, complaining about the wicked, and complaining about him. Then he, in verse 12, he, he kind of changes a little bit here and gives us a different viewpoint. Lift up thine hand, forget not the humble. Your, your hand is, is, is all-powerful, all able to do any and everything you want. Wherefore doth the wicked contend, contend God? In other words, who, who would disgrace or who would disregard God? He had said in his heart, thou will not require it. There are many today that doesn't believe that there is a God and there's not going to be a God that's going to hold them accountable. Their idea of, of heaven and hell is to say that they don't think either exist. And that's their escape route in their mind. There's not a heaven. There's not a hell. We just, what do we do? We just vapor. <laughs> Arise, David changed his focus. He turned abruptly to, from lamenting about, about the power of the wicked over the weak to a passionate call to God, to the Lord, to act. God, please come act with your omnipotent hand, with your power, and with your authority, please come. Thou hast seen it, for thou hast beheld this mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committed himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou, now this is, this is interesting. Verse 15, break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. So he has now asked God to take a stand against the wicked, to break their hold on the weak, break their hold on the, the helpless and the fatherless. And so David changes his tune there a little bit. The prosperity of the wicked. Psalm 73. Who has that? Michael.
David looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and it seemed like everything about them was going so well and so good. And there was two points he finally came to his life. He, his feet almost slipped. He almost got to where he was cynical. He almost had spiritual exhaustion at that point, and he realized, whoa. Then he came into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then he came to the house of the Lord. Then he came to a point to where instead of looking around him, and seeing all the hurt and the wrong and all those things that was going on, he looked up. How many times do we need to look up? For our redemption draweth nigh. And, and, and being able to look toward the God who is ready to save, the God who is ready to take care of all our needs, he is there for us and he has a plan for us and he wants to rescue us. And he wants us to be his people and to spread his news. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Amen. That's a good word there. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. So we have two instances of, of how God would want us to respond and to react. I found a lot of these pictures from websites and locations, and this is an actual picture that someone took. And it, it almost breaks your heart, doesn't it, when you look at something like that? Ah, but he gives grace to the humble. Well, I could use his grace, a whole bunch of it. I could use his mercy, an overabundance of it. And I, I want him to bless me in that regard, and I want him to bless you in that regard. But I want us more than anything else to not always look around us and complain, but look around us and see that there is a target-rich field to pray for and to work toward correcting. I think that's what God would have us do. Let's move on. I'll try to wrap this up here. Psalms 10, verses 16 through 18. The Lord is what? King. <laughs> I love that. Wait, Dave, you stole my thunder. <laughs> he is king forever and ever. That's <laughs> so good. The heathen are perished out of, his hand, out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou will prepare their heart. That will cause thine ear to hear, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. There's going to come a day when there won't be oppression. There's going to come a day when 
when the just is going to be, the just is going to stand and, and be victorious over everything that he does. And that day, one day, many of us, I just, I just believe that I know in my heart that we will not experience the tribulation, but we'll, we'll be with Christ in his millennial reign. Oh, I can't wait. Now, David goes into a polar opposite when, when we look at this verse here, because now he is, he is gone from talking about the poor to the point that he now wants to talk about what God is and how, how God is and what he can do. And so there's a polar opposite thought that is going to be brought forth here. Now, this next slide, the first one that gets this slide and is able to tell me what it is will get a peppermint stick candy. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. What is it? The Hallelujah Chorus. Is that the name of it? Is it Handel's Messiah? <laughs> Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> and, and Deb, I won't have you sing it, okay? Thank you. <laughs> Last time I asked, her, I asked her something, and I told her, go ahead and sing it, and she just almost came unglued. <laughs> Only God. Can satisfy. Pecan pie with ice cream is good. Oh, oh man. Ribs, bacon, come on. <laughs> it's good. But only God can satisfy. Because I eat all those ribs, and I'm like, oh, boy, I get miserable. You would think after you ate a big bunch of ribs, you'd feel good, but you feel miserable. And pecan pie with all that ice cream without a cup of coffee is almost, you can't do it. <laughs> but only God can satisfy. Thou will prepare their heart. Thou will cause thine ear to hear. God hears, oh, my Lord. But he also hears him. He hears when I said, oh, my goodness gracious. But he also hears. He's listening. He knows my heart so well. Because he crafted it. He knew this night. This lesson, the scripture read, and where each of us are in our spiritual journey with him. He knows that already. God's awesome, isn't he? Just incredible. But only God can satisfy. When the world says, hey, I can give you this, I can help this, and I can show you this, and I can, I can give you all of this, Yes, but it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't last. My dad used to always use this expression. Yeah, you may get that, but the Lord can blow on it. And I used to think, what? Blow on it? But as I've grown up and I understand scripture, all it takes is God's breath to go. And everything you gain can be gone in moments. So the question here that I have for you in all of this bad news that's happening in the world today, 
God is working. Nothing is happening today that he isn't already making a way. Who's going to get glory? He's making a way. We may not see it. I may not understand it. But God is in the fixing business. And he is going to fix things according to his will. I know he will. <laughs> I know he can. And I know that he wants us to have a part in that. How do I find out my marching orders? My marching orders is found in here. And the confirmation of those marching orders and what he wants me to do is my relationship and my talking and praying to him. Only God can satisfy. The world is full of injustice. What is your role? Well, I can't go to Washington and be a senator. No, but you can pray for that senator. I think the president's making a mess of things. We're told to pray for our leaders. See, believers can't get caught up in the finger-pointing politics. We've got to be able to tell the person that has is contemplated, contemplating an abortion that there is, there are options that God has. I think if you've, like me, you've read many stories of some people that have done great things for the Lord, only to find out that their mother was about to abort them and something miraculously happened to keep that assignment from taking place so that this person could live. This world is full of injustice. What is your role? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the whole lesson that David gave. Is it almost as if he's walking around right now looking at what is going on in the world that we're living in. We just pray, Lord, that as we find solace in your word that we can find also encouragement to be an agent of change, an agent of prayer, and an agent of wanting to bring restoration in the world in which we live. We just pray that we will let others see Jesus in us. We thank you now for this time, and we ask that as we go into a, a time of prayer, you might be glorified and honored in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Let us all say, Amen. Amen. Brother Dave, will you come?